everybody? I love that video. And I want to say my own uh, special welcome to Senator Singleton. We are honored to have you, sir, and welcome to uh, Hope in Mount Laurel. Um, we were just talking briefly uh, before the service started. He represents a district of about a quarter of a million, a million people and uh, said, I've got a lot of bosses. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, we, we hear a lot in uh, our current culture about uh, our complaints about government and politicians and so forth. But one of the things the Bible tells us is that we're to pray for our leaders, our civic leaders. And uh, so I think this is a great opportunity for us to do that. What do you think? Senator, would you mind joining me up front? We'll uh, pray for our state and national government, and you can be the representative. Why don't we stand together? And so, Almighty God, we know that um, all power rests with you, that you are the one who guides and leads and directs and blesses and... Um, and corrects. And you have put into place uh, human beings to act as uh, surrogates in some way to bring order into our chaos. And so we pray for the men and women who are in positions of uh, governance. And Lord, we all have reasons to complain and to moan about uh, this, that, and the next thing, but um, they are human beings many of whom have a desire to serve um, and to be a blessing to communities like ours. And so we pray for them. Lord, I pray uh, especially for uh, our brother Troy this morning and for uh, the work that he is doing on our behalf in Trenton and ask your blessing on him and all who are a part of that legislative body. We pray for our federal government as well, for uh, our Congress, our, our executive branch, for our Supreme uh, Court, uh, for the court system, the judicial system, and a place and a people who are committed to freedom and liberty and justice for all. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless, man. Glad to have you with us. So I can't believe that it's, Easter's gone. Like, how did that happen? It was, it, it, we spend months uh, as a staff, preparing for it and so forth, and then it like blows through. Uh, but it was a great Easter at Hope. Uh, here at Mount Laurel, we had our second largest attendance in our history. That's very cool, right? So that's just a sim sign of things yet to come, and uh, so uh, very excited about that. Across all of our uh, services from the uh, five third or five o'clock service on Saturday, our sunrise service morning, we had uh, something like twelve hundred people, uh, which was really cool. Yeah, that's good stuff. And uh, and folks did great. Our our uh, worship teams uh, did great. Our hospitality teams, those folks that were serving our children's ministries, um, it was so many good things happened and. Uh, it's fun for me. Uh, I watch on social media the, the um, reflections of people uh, as they post about uh, their experiences uh, at Hope. And uh, so let me just use that as an opportunity to say to you, if you're a social media kind of person, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, 
um, when you put that stuff out there about the church, you know, like, hey, I was at Hope this morning and I heard Pastor Rick say some, you know, profound thing or whatever, or you take a picture, um, that creates kind of a good gossip. And you have no idea how God will use something that simple. So I met a couple at um, the Voorhees campus on Easter, and uh, it was their first time at Hope. And uh, whenever I meet a couple like that, one of my questions is, so what made you come out today? And they said, you know, we just felt like we were looking for something more. We were looking for something better. We are looking for something living. And I said, do you know anybody here? And like, no, we don't really know anybody. But we've heard such good things about this church. So where did they hear the good things about the church? Well, it's that good gossip. So maybe they saw things on Facebook or, or whatever it was, but it drew them out. And, uh, and they were so excited to be there and said they'll be back. And so I hope they are back. But then Easter's over, right? Just like that, by one o'clock, it was over. This place was a cafeteria again. The trailer was back at the, at the Voorhees campus. The Voorhees facility was closed up. No people there. Gone. One o'clock in the afternoon. And people go back to their lives, right? You go back to your life. You go back to the regular things of life. Right? So in this series that we're going to be starting, a little three-week series, we're talking about after Easter. What happened after Easter? Because even though it feels like the end, like, okay, it's done, you know, we had, our, we had our moment, you know, it was a big deal, and now it's back to the realities of life, back to jobs, and back to family matters, and back to finances, and back to griping about the government, you know, all of that stuff. Back to the regular stuff. Everything changed. So we're going to look at three stories in Scripture um, over these next three weeks about what happened after Easter. It, 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 really, everything did change. Nothing was the same after that first Easter. And some of the changes were profound, unbelievable. There was one commentator that uh, wrote something that I thought was worth sharing about the profound nature of the change. It changed the Roman Empire. You know? The most um, expansive, the most powerful, the most enduring uh, empire in history up to that time. This is what uh, this commentator wrote. What happened as a result of the resurrection, in the span of a few hundred years, a small band of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning the entire empire upside down. As has been well said, they faced the tyrant's brandished steel, the lion's gory mane, and the fires of a thousand believers. Because they believed that they would rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies. So this little band of believers, so transformed by their experience of the resurrected Jesus, were willing to endure suffering and death rather than deny their faith. 
And their faith was so contagious that it ultimately transformed an empire. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the resurrected Jesus. But really the power is more about the power to change a human heart, to change a human life, than about the change of nations and organizations and so forth. It's how it changes a single life. And sometimes that change happens really quickly. I mean, I've talked to people over the years, I've known people over the years who, when they first hear a presentation of the gospel of Jesus, man, it just goes right to their heart. And they're, they, they uh, receive Jesus as their Savior you know, really quickly. More often, at least in my experience, is it takes time. It takes time. It's a process. Now, our growth as believers, we know is a process. That's what we talk about. To be a disciple is to be in the process of conforming to the image of Christ. But to take that step to, to become a follower of Christ, sometimes it takes people years, decades. There was a guy, I remember, um, he became a friend, but he was coming to Hope only because um, his wife dragged him, you know, with their two kids. And... Um, he made it really clear that he wasn't interested in the whole religion thing, the whole Jesus thing. And um, about 15 years later, after I first met this guy, about 15 years later, I was sitting across a table from him in Havana, Cuba, on a mission trip, saying to him, can you believe you're here? Not in, not in Cuba, but you're here in your faith, that your faith has become so alive to you that you've traveled to a place to proclaim the good news of Christ. And he couldn't believe it, and neither could I. So this morning, we're going to look at a story about two guys, right? So the, the gospel, the, the power of the resurrection really comes down to individual lives. We're going to look at two guys who um, had the experience of the very first Easter. And their story. So it's two guys, they're walking down the road, right? They're heading home. They've been in Jerusalem and they're they're heading back to their home village of a town called Emmaus. And so I want to go through this story, this uh, story of the post-resurrection, the after-Easter story of these two guys walking down this road and see what we can pick up here. So the words will be on the screen. Uh, it's from Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse 13. It says this. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to a village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things. And discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. So 
opening of the story, right? These two guys who have been in Jerusalem, um, and uh, they're described as followers of Jesus. So you know that Jesus had thousands of followers. When he got to Jerusalem, there were thousands of people who were excited about Jesus. A lot of those fled um, in the days to come, but he had all of these followers. So here's two guys from this town called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I was trying to figure, you know, what would that look like here, seven miles, if you're going to walk seven miles. As it turns out, according to Google Maps, from where we are right here to the Voorhees campus is 7.2 miles, right? So we're all walking there after the service, just so we get a feel for this Emmaus walk, right? Seven, seven miles uh, to Voorhees, right? So, so that was the walk that they had done. They went to Jerusalem probably to see Jesus. They probably knew about Jesus. Maybe they had seen him before during the course of his ministry. They heard he was coming into Jerusalem. And so they walked from Emmaus to Jerusalem. So they probably were there on that uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into the city and saw him riding in on the donkey as thousands of people were lining the streets and calling out Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and so forth. They were jazzed by that whole deal. They were, they were likely there when that same crowd, that mob, turned and called for his crucifixion. They were there on that first Good Friday when Jesus was led out of the city of Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha where he was crucified. And they would have been there when he was put into the tomb. And on that terrible Sabbath day, that long, endless, agonizing day, when Jesus was dead, they would have been there. And now it's the next day. And they're heading back. Back to Emmaus. Back to where they come from. Easter, you know, the... the, the events are over and they're trying to get their heads wrapped around it and they are sad about the whole thing. We only know them as two men who are walking down the street until there's this mention of this guy Cleopas who answers Jesus' question. It's the only time this guy's mentioned in the, whole, in the Bible. Cleopas. And I was wondering, you know, like, why? Why even put his name there? Like, who cares? Cleopas. Like, it's an embarrassing name anyway, but. <laughs> Does anybody know a Cleopas? Anybody? Nobody's picking Cleopas. But... <laughs> yeah, Cle. <clears throat> you know, you end up as Puss, right? <laughs> Sup, Puss? Anyway, so. I think the reason that, that Luke put that in there, so remember, Luke is writing this gospel, and Luke's purpose in writing the gospel was he wanted to give an orderly account of the things that had happened. Luke's mindset wasn't, I'm writing this for 2,000 years from now. His mindset is, I'm writing this to people right now, real time. The Holy Spirit knew it was going to go far beyond that, but Luke probably didn't. So what Luke is doing is he's trying to give as detailed an 
uh, information as he can. So he, he hears this guy's name is Cleopas, and he's putting it in there. So if somebody who's reading this letter says, you know what? We're going to go to Emmaus. We're going to look this guy up. We want to hear firsthand his story. That's my theory anyway. So we know that, that these guys are, were there for this whole thing. We also know that they heard, before they left, they heard rumors that some women went to the tomb and it was empty. And that two of the disciples went as well and reported it was empty as well. The thing that I find interesting about these two guys, these are, these are followers of Jesus. They're Christ followers. It's Easter, so they're literally traveling on the first Easter. Jesus had risen that very day. It's Good Friday for them. Jesus is gone. Jesus is no more. Jesus doesn't exist anymore. So it's Easter, but they're living a Good Friday life. You know, I think that we as Christians do that at times. We live with the resurrected Christ, but in our hearts, it's Good Friday. These kinds of crises of faith are normal. And I think not only normal, I think they're necessary. It's those moments in your life, maybe you've had them, where life has become so difficult for you or for somebody that you care about that it feels like God is absent. It feels like Jesus doesn't exist. And as faithful as you may be, it just feels the absence of Jesus feels so profound. I mean, I had the experience. For me, it was kind of 94, 95-ish. And um, if you know me, you know the story, my family story of Marilyn um, was dealing with cancer treatments. Matt, our youngest special needs son, uh, was going through open heart surgery. Josh was just two. It was overwhelming for me. And it felt like God was absent. It felt like Jesus wasn't there. In those kinds of times, in those moments, those spiritual crisis moments, that's when maturity begins. Because it feels like you're just holding on for dear life. Like, Lord, I know there is a reason. I know that you're there. It doesn't feel like you're there. And as you hold on through that, what you will experience is the resurrected Christ. Those times don't last forever. That's not your whole reality. Unless you bail, you know, like if you walk away and just give up on the faith, you, you go back to your own Emmaus, you know, and just forget it. You're not there. You'll miss out on the blessing. 
Because here's the thing in the story that's so cool. They felt Jesus was gone. But he was there with them. They didn't recognize him, it says. I don't know why they didn't recognize him. Um, there's lots of different theories as, from commentators. You know, one guy actually said, well, they were walking west, so the sun was in their eyes, and uh, it was the end of the day, and that's why they didn't recognize him. I don't think that's it. But he was there all along walking with them, even though they didn't recognize him. So here these two guys are. They're, they're walking back to Emmaus. It's Easter, but they're kind of living a Good Friday existence. And uh, so they, Cleopas has just said, you know, I don't, you must be the only guy around who hasn't heard the story uh, of all the things that happened. So verse 19 says this. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. So they didn't know who Jesus was. I mean, they knew some stuff about him, some cool stuff about him, but they didn't know who Jesus was. How'd they describe him? They described him the way that a lot of people describe Jesus today. He's a prophet. He was a miracle worker. He was a great teacher. They missed the most important thing. He's the Messiah. He is the one who came to be the sacrificial lamb, to take away the sins of the world, to take away my sins. So they knew some good stuff about him, but they didn't know the whole story. They didn't understand who Jesus really was. So, moving on the story. Verse 22. So here's, here's these guys still telling their, their deal. Then some of the women from our group uh, of his followers were at the tomb early that morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen an angel who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Two things about this. One, believe the women when they tell you stuff. And two, they heard the story. They heard the story that these women went out and he wasn't there and they saw an angel who said he was alive and then the disciples went and they came back with a similar report. He was, the body was not there. And so what do these two guys do? Hmm. Well, let's go home. Let's go back to Emmaus. There's nothing for us here. Like, why didn't they stick around? Like, if that was the report, 
why didn't they stick around? Like, really? Well, you know, I got I got to go. I got to go to work tomorrow, and you know, uh, I've got a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, and so I can't miss that. I, what was more important than finding out if, in fact, Jesus had risen from the dead? And again, I think a lot of people live there. They hear the Easter story. You know, they come to churches all around the country and they hear the resurrection story. They hear about this wondrous thing that taken place and they go, yeah, hmm, that's interesting. What time is lunch? Right? Um, instead of sticking around and saying, let me look into this. Is this true? Could this have happened? What is the evidence that something more took place? So this is what Jesus says. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you, f you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have suffered all of these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus with these guys says, let me, let me tell you the story again. Let me tell you what it is that God has been saying through the prophets all along about the Messiah. According to uh, one commentator I read that uh, on, this, on this subject, that there are over 500 verses that talk about the Messiah in the um, Old Testament. And over um, 27 mentions of a personal Messiah. So Jesus is taking them through this whole journey through their faith, through their scriptures, through the prophets, and explaining to them who he was. And they are mesmerized. You know? So there's this whole story about who Jesus was. He's one who they'd been waiting for, this the Messiah who was going to come to bring freedom for them. To bring deliverance from sin. And they missed it. And so Jesus is explaining this to them. What they failed to understand was Jesus was more than a prophet, a miracle worker, and a great teacher. That he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away our sin. And so it gets, they get, you know, to Voorhees, <laughs> they get to Emmaus, and uh, Jesus is going to continue on, and they beg him to stay. Don't go, don't go. They beg him to stay. And so he agrees to stay, because now they're like, wow, this guy's amazing. They still don't see it. So they're going to have dinner 
So they sit down for dinner, and the Bible says that Jesus took the bread off the table, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were open, and they knew it was Jesus. Now, when you read that, it sort of sounds like Jesus is doing communion, right? So he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and, you know, there's this idea that, oh, it's just like the upper room. That's what he did in the upper room, except Cleopas and the other dude who doesn't have a name weren't there. They weren't there. They weren't in the upper room. That was just the 12. So they would not have seen Jesus do that whole thing, right? That was not part of their experience at that point. So here's what I think it says to me anyway, is that people can meet Jesus in the ordinary times and places in their lives, in their homes, over a meal, talking about their faith. One of the reasons that we at Hope emphasize small groups and social groups is for just that reason. It's not about being in a worship service and it's not about um, being in a, in a formal class setting necessarily. Sometimes the best times of our faith development are in small groups of people just hanging out, having a meal together. We have this little dinner for 10 thing. I love that because it's an opportunity for, for people from the church just to get together and get to know each other and for the conversation to naturally go into faith things. When I think about my own faith, it was developed around tables of food. Right? My, my grandma Keating, she was smart. You know, I was a teenager. I was struggling, you know, with the whole faith thing. But Graham Keating knew the way to this boy's heart was through his stomach. Right? <laughs> hey, you look hungry. Why don't you sit down? I'm going to make you a burger. And she'd be chatting away, and she'd say things like, you know, I was reading in the Bible this, this morning, and she'd tell me whatever her devotional reading was. What do you think, Jeffrey? She called me Jeffrey. What do you think, Jeffrey? Well, she didn't need this 15, 16-year-old punk to tell her what the Bible meant. She was just training me. She was teaching me. Her son, my uncle, had a similar kind of thing. He called it TGIF. They would gather people at their table every Friday. He and his wife would invite people from their world, you know, people they met during the week, to come for dinner on Friday. And it was always, you know, like eight or ten people and uh, great dinner and great conversation. And they were masterful at eventually moving the conversation just naturally to faith discussions. And I watched as a line of people over the years were introduced to Christ around that dinner table. So... How we talk about our faith, when we talk about our faith, it really matters. Now, I know that a lot of folks are uncomfortable with that, right? Like, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin. How, I, you know, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a Bible scholar. Here's the thing you've got your own story. At the end of this uh, gospel account, 
these guys go back to Jerusalem and they tell their story of their encounter with Jesus. I know the band's going to be ending with a song, so I'm going to invite you guys to come on up uh, while I wrap wrap this up. Um, So you have your own story of faith. It's a developing story. It's always developing. But it has a beginning. For you, your story of faith began somewhere. So maybe your story, my story was, I was raised going to church. So I always went to church. My parents took me to church. But it was a church thing. You know, it was a Sunday for an hour thing. That was where my story began. Your story has a middle. What happened that changed it for you? For me, it began to happen when my brother and sister, who were teenagers at the time, had a transforming experience with Jesus. And I watched that happen, and it impacted me. Like, oh, this is, this is something more than just going to church and singing some hymns. There's something else to this. And it began an exploration for me. To the point where when I was in my junior year of high school, I accepted Christ for myself. And then it has a part of, where are you now? So everybody has a story. You have a faith story. I would encourage you to take some time over the next week and map out what does your faith story look like? How would you write your own faith story? What was the beginning of the faith story for you? What did it look like? Who were the people involved and what was going on in your life? What was the middle, that place where where it became personal for you? It became real for you. And then where are you now in your own faith journey? Let's continue to worship God.